and he had like this this is a classic goatee thing had a cupboard full of um what we call assistive technology and i just spent a fair bit of the time just looking through everything i was just amazed at how cool the stuff was that you can use to modify occupations to make life just a little bit easier for someone Hey everyone, welcome back to Ready to Redo. So this is the start of a very, very exciting new segment called Careers 101. For now anyway, I'll try and think of a better name, but I would love your suggestions too. But uh, for now, let's just stick with this. So Careers 101 is where we get an insider's look into specific careers by speaking with the people in that field. So I got this idea because so many people in a survey I put out commented that they wish they knew more about different careers in high school and even now when they're trying to switch careers as adults. So our first episode of the segment today is with the absolutely wholesome and bubbly human being and my very longtime friend Amy Hodge. So Amy studied occupational therapy in uni which is a very very overlooked healthcare profession. It's within allied health and barely anyone knows about it. I only learnt it through Amy. So she's practicing it full time and explains what it is, the tasks required in the job, the struggles of burnout in the healthcare sector, and so much more. So without further ado, let's jump into it. I'm really excited today to say that Amy Hodge is here to explain OT to us because Personally, for me, I when you said that you did OT in uni, I had no idea what you meant. I get that a lot. Right? Yeah. And so I thought that was a real shame because it's a full-fledged allied health job. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really strange how not many people know about it, but know about physio and know about... Yeah. Um, what else is Speech in pathology. Allied? Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. other yeah. ones too, right? Yeah, there's heaps. There's and speech, physio, massage therapists, oh. osteos... All of everything that's medical, health-related, that's not doctor, is and, allied health, basically. And do you basically work together? In it depends where you are. Okay. At my job, um, we have a physio, exercise physiologist, and speech pathologist okay. on our team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I thought for people who want to know more about OT or who actually want to go into OT as well, I think this would be a really great introduction mm. because you are Absolutely. a living OT, so you know, yes. and you're the only OT I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it'd be very helpful yeah. to get you on. Yeah. Um, and so I know you've <laughs> prepared this question, which yes. is what is an OT <laughs> and why did you prepare it? Um, so the word OT, this acronym OT is short for occupational therapist and occupational therapist. I like to define, it's a very hard well, I find I personally, and a lot of us actually, find it quite challenging to define because it's such a broad profession, literally because the word occupation in our job title means anything you do to occupy your time. So that's why it's such a big, broad profession to define. But I've got the World Federation of Occupational Therapies definition on my phone. So mm-hmm. I'm going to read that yes. out because I, I really like um, the definition. They sum it up perfectly. It's very broad, but I'll give some specific examples after. It says, Occupational therapy is a client-centered health profession concerned with promoting health and well-being through occupation. The primary goal of occupational therapy is to enable people to participate in the activities of everyday life. And, yeah, occupational there was a lot of occupation yeah. term in there. <laughs> and that, yeah, as I said, is literally anything that just occupies your t- time. Um, mm-hmm. Brushing your teeth, walking the dog, um, going to work, catching the bus, anything. And so what sort of clients done. do you work with who need that support? So personally, I work with people with um, adults with intellectual disabilities, but OTs can work in pretty much any field, <laughs> any population one of the bigger areas for OT is paediatrics, so working mm. with kids at that those early stages of life, um, particularly with kids with disabilities or mm-hmm. unknown diagnoses. But then they c- can go all the way to older adults in aged care homes or um, people after knee surgery replacement, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's so huge. For an ex- like as a concrete example for people who are like, okay, what's your job? What sort of tasks are you required to do? 
I remember you talking to me last time about helping a kid with shoelaces. Yeah. Can you explain that one? Yeah, yeah. So, well, that specific example, there's quite a few people I'm working with at the moment, some of my clients. We call them participants because they're the participants of the NDIS. So the NDIS, or the National Disability Insurance Scheme, is something that Amy explains later, but essentially it's a government scheme that supports and funds people with disabilities. One of the participants I'm working with, he is awesome, absolutely love him. He And one of his goals is to be able to tie his shoelaces independently. Mm-hmm. How old he, is he? He's ooh, 19, I mm-hmm. think, yep. um, and he has the physical capacity to tie his shoelaces, so has the fine motor control and the dexterity to do it, but finds it, but doesn't quite have the cognitive capacity to know which steps to do and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we're now, we've tried the physical actually doing the um, tying the shoelaces, but that's been quite challenging and we're not very getting anywhere. So we've started looking at how we could modify the occupation. So we've looked into replacement shoelaces. So they're just like elastic ties. So he can put his shoes on independently, but don't have to worry about someone getting to tie his shoelaces up. Mm. So um, yeah, that's just one example. And can you list just some other yeah examples of participant situations that you've helped out with just yeah. so that we can get Yeah, on? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's millions, <laughs> um, but some of the others I'm working on at the moment, um, a girl is wanting to learn how to straighten her hair, so we're um, practicing that. Someone else is learning how to wash their hair, so we're um, doing that and adapting the task for her as so well. So is it the process of actually washing or is it making sure that the environment is safe so that she can... For this client in particular, it's both. Um, she's a falls risk, so when she's now sitting down in the shower on a shower chair, and her she doesn't have much function in her right arm so where yeah. um so she's using her left hand to do all like the scrubbing in her hair and um it just depends on the client really mm-hmm. how you'd adapt it and whether it is environment and or the person or we need the, the, we, something about the person or the actual task itself mm-hmm. That's what we call the PEO model, the person environment occupation model. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, what's something else I'm doing? Um, another guy I'm working with, his goal is around making himself a cup of, t- cup of tea in the morning. Oh, yeah. we, we're doing that in the clinic at the moment. Um, oh, I also might just add that the clinic that I'm working in um, is within a day program service. So people... Um, after school, um, a lot of people with disabilities go to day programs and it's just an extended version of um, school in yeah. the simplest way to say it. Um, and, yeah, so our therapy service is a branch of that. But anyway, so he comes in, um, this client, and we um, have a kettle there and he brings his own mug and tea bag in and we make a cup of tea together. So I asked Amy afterwards what it looked like in her sessions with the clients and to just elaborate a little bit further. So she used the example of the client who wants to strain her hair independently. And their first sessions began with Amy just observing how her client strains her hair right now. And then also discussing very important things like motivation. How motivated is her client to achieve that goal? And then from this knowledge, Amy creates a detailed plan with the small steps needed to achieve the full independence that the client wants. So this would include things like anatomy and physiology and factoring all of these things so that the client can reach their goal. It's pretty cool. And and in terms of also the mechanics of the body, because I know Mm. that, what did you actually cover in OT in uni? Because it's like surprisingly for people who just don't know OT, especially for me, mm. you go a lot into yeah. the anatomy and yeah, the physiology. Yeah. So could you explain? Yeah. So did? at in the first year particularly, um, we did a lot around. Um, we did some course, some of the units with the nurses and paramedics, and yeah, those the allied other allied health people. So they came in. Yeah, we all we all did this joint subject anatomy subject, right. learning about. All things anatomy, even we did, we touched on pharmaceutical side of things. We don't do that, or not in my role. We mm-hmm. don't do much pharmaceutical. But then 
as uni went on, in I think it was the second half of the second year, we did um, more neuro-based, neuro based, neuro neuroscience based um, anatomy. So learning about different parts of the spinal cord and oh, that would have um, really helped with the NDIS. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, sure. um, yeah, that's been amazing. One of the big dis- um, main disabilities I work with is cerebral palsy, yeah. which is a very new, obviously a neurological condition. And can you explain um, what? general terms cerebral palsy so cerebral palsy is when there's been a lack of oxygen at birth that's the biggest the sorry the most common definition mm-hmm. it's not always the cause of it but um more often than not it's been due to a lack of oxygen at birth that which leads to some brain damage mm-hmm. can often present um as someone that has high spasticity so high tone in their arms or has an altered gait, so an altered walk. Yeah, it, it presents different in very everyone. Different, really. Very different. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, just a general overview. Yeah. But going back to, um, so you basically did the neuroscience side of things. Yeah, you? yeah. And then yeah. did you, um, four years in total? Is that yes, right? yes. So then what did you do afterwards? Um, so throughout that we were doing fundamental occupational therapy things. So looking at the different models, like how I said before about the PEO model, there's a few other models out there that can help uh, frame our work, our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so more the logistics of OT sort of Yeah, thing? the theory side of okay. it. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And then we did things around um, how to work with the community, not just uh, individual yeah. client but how to work with a community yeah so many things a lot of things <laughs> i remember there was one unit you loved which is hand um, yeah hand therapy yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah i absolutely <laughs> loved that and that was learning how to make splints um oh, for great. people after they either have hand, had hand injuries or a hand surgery or have arthritis and they mm. need um an immobilizing or or i think the opposite is immobilizing I presume so. Mobile. Yeah, probably. Immobilizing, mobilizing, mobilizing splints. Dynamic, that's the word, dynamic splints. Uh-huh. Um, and, You're secretly uh, being tested yeah. right now. Dynamic splints. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, and seeing how we can make sure that they can continue to do their occupations, mm-hmm. their meaningful and important occupations, with either with the splint on or making sure we maintain their hand function. Yeah. Um, even... After, even if they have cerebral palsy, for example, um, they might have um, the high tone in their hand, mm-hmm. in their upper limb, but they need they can have a splint to help r- maintain the range of motion in it. Sorry, yeah. I'm talking really no, lingo, no, I, OT I, lingo, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think, and I tend to forget as well that OT is so like it, it's a science it's a allied health profession so we assume yeah but then once we hear about like general occupation we're like oh it's you're just helping them walk, yeah, right? yeah, but yeah no yeah. it's like centered around science yeah and academics <laughs> like yeah that. There, yeah there's a lot of that fundamental knowledge mm. does come back to anatomy in the sciences exactly. part of it yeah yeah mm. Yeah, and I think with any sort of healthcare, because, yeah, we both worked in disability support work Mm. as well, and what they emphasise, no matter if it's disability or if it's um, OT or whether it's any sort of allied health or health, it's always making sure the client or the participant has autonomy. Absolutely. has complete independence to do what they want. Yes, yes. That's the – I think that's the priority going into the job as well, is not to do things for people, but – Give them tools to do it for yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And one other term I like to say in it, um, in that kind of definition, I guess, of OT, mm-hmm. is also to be able to do it safely. They might not be able to do it independently, yeah. or they, sorry, they may be able to do it independently, but it's not safe. Mm-hmm. So trying to find that middle ground to make sure they can do it safely, but still independently as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's quite tricky thing to navigate at times especially I haven't personally worked in the mental health world but sometimes they can be completely independent to for example someone with schizophrenia um they might be able to cook um something on the stove all by themselves but they might not be able to do it safely Mm -hmm. so there's that fine line you have to balance I guess and that Mm. is then your role as well to make sure the occupation of cooking is safe for them and then you do you create a, I guess, a map or like a? 
It depends on the person. <laughs> you could do anything. You might have okay, to go okay. down the route of making sure there's a support worker or someone uh, being able to supervise even just in the background. If they're just in another room, at least they'll be there on site. Or if they have a personal alarm, for example, and they know when to press it if they were to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. There's so endless many, possibilities. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so because OT is such a – I feel like it's a very neglected – Profession. Yeah. <laughs> so neglected. I feel so bad. No, we're really quite at the bottom of the yeah. food chain um, in the allied health world. Don't want to put OTs down, but we are. But yeah. we are getting more and more well-known. And with mm. things like this, for example, and we have more advertising and marketing coming out from our governing body, OT yeah. Australia. Um, so it's getting out there more and pe- more and more people are doing it at uni because they hear about it through friends or family friends Mm -hmm. so yeah we're getting out there we're getting better (laughs) and I'm so curious to know because you jump straight into an OT course right Mm. after school which is already um I think what a lot of people fear is to make a decision really just Mm. straight out of high school how (laughs) first of all OT Mm. is very foreign especially in um 2016 is when we Mm. started Mm. So the fact that you did OT in 2016, that it was pretty unknown and it's only getting traction now. Mm. How did you think of jumping into it? Yeah. Well, I get asked this question a fair bit because, yeah, like literally I'm 23 and I'm already 18 months into a full-time career. That's a bit (laughs) mind-blowing even for me. (laughs) But my mum, shout out to my mum, she's the best. Uh Um, She's a vet and she um, has – gets to talk to a lot of clients Um, and one of when I was looking into the allied health world because I knew I wanted to um, go into care and look after and help people I was initially looking into nursing but I did some like some um, work experience and I really didn't like it Mm. Um, so mum started doing some searching for me and started talking to some of her clients like she had a physio with a dog and um, an OT and a podiatrist a speech pathologist and a what was the other one? Anyway, there were a few. Bottom of the bottom yeah. <laughs> of the food chain, even below OT. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, so she hooked me up with a few people, and mm. I just went and spent a day with these people because I live in a right. rural town. Like mm-hmm. my Wupal. parents live there. Yeah. Yes, in Whitpool. Um, they everyone knows each other, so okay. I was able to go and and I knew a few of them already. So I just got to go for a few hours tag along which Mm. was so nice of them and OT was the one I'm like I spent half a day with this guy and I'm like this is what I want to (laughs) do it was I just had so much fun um I can't really even remember what we did I I remember it was the one thing I do remember was that we were in his office and he had like this this is a classic OT thing, had a cupboard full of um, what we call assistive technology, which mm-hmm. is like thing like um, grabber things, like things you tongs? can – Yeah, but not tongs. <laughs> it's like long – we call them long-handled um, reaching aids. So okay. if you had a hip replacement or something and you needed to pick something up from the ground, you have this little – device that can pick it up for you or there's things called sock aids where you put your sock on this plastic thing and you can pull it up um up your foot and as um, in you put it over your toes and over the bowl of your foot but then you have a contraption to pull it up yeah 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 so he had a cupboard of all these kind of things Mm -hmm. and I just spent a fair bit of the time just looking through everything I was just amazed with how cool the stuff was that you can use Mm -hmm. to modify occupations to make life just a little bit easier for someone it's um, true and yeah. we overlook we overlook if we're especially privileged physically like mm. if we don't mm. need this assistance we just overlook the fact that maybe putting on socks is a really hard task yeah exactly and so exactly. i think that would have yeah blown your mind at oh that absolutely like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah i i think i was in i would have been in year 12 it would have been one of the school holidays i think Jeez, yeah. and that was when i first heard about occupational therapy and then I started to apply to all these courses and I'm like, and I, I actually got into a podiatry course, but I, I'm so glad I, I don't like that. feet now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apart from socks, but not yeah. feet directly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, but then I got into 
Australian Catholic Uni, which is where I ended up studying. And I went on a campus tour and I loved it there. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the one I'll do. And yeah. Yeah. I best will, choice ever. I will go into ACU and yeah. the uni options. And that I think we'll put later just because yeah. for the ones who actually really want to consider it from yes. what you've said about OT so mm-hmm. far, that would be really great yeah. for them. To talk more about, I guess, your expectations coming in mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Did you have particular misconceptions about the role or the job of OT? Oh, I think there's two sides to this question. I feel like when I went into the uni course, there mm-hmm. I didn't, but then also going into the actual workforce. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of going into the course at uni, I didn't really have any ideas. So mm-hmm. I was happy to do whatever. Just from the only real exposure was that day? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, um, which is pretty crazy that I still picked it. But that's how much I loved it. But And then going into the actual workforce after the four-year course, it's crazy, <laughs> to say the least. I realised how much – I'm working in the NDIS – so it's and what is that for people? Sorry, don't know? National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's one of the big. It's our big insurance scheme in Australia to um, assist people with the funding for if they have a disability. And I work in that um, system, not for the NDIS, but a mm-hmm. part of the NDIS. Yeah. I was happy to go into the NDIS, mm-hmm. obviously, um, but it was working out the. There's a huge admin side to OT, which I didn't realise. We didn't do any of that at uni. We did a little bit on placement, Mm. but in the NDIS particularly, there are so many reports and Mm -hmm. billing things you have to sort out and so much admin work that I didn't realise I had to do that we didn't learn at uni. And do you think that extends to other health professions or specifically with Yeah, yeah, especially in the NDIS. I think even with the physios that I know and my experience on hospitals on placements, seeing other disciplines, they also do the same amount of paperwork as us and admin work. Um, It's just – it was just quite a shock to the system. (laughs) So not even in uni – so you didn't really do much admin – even on your placements, because I remember. Yeah, there, yeah like we did we, we did some like documentation. Like one of our um, criteria to um, pass a placement is to have satisfactory um, documentation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just writing to on my placement experiences. That was just writing out notes from a session to oh, so there's okay. a record of it. Mm. Yes, that I knew that going into the job that that was going to be something because that's the law. Yes. Um, <laughs> Follow the but law. But then I, on placements, I never did reports or mm. liaising with families, really. And um, that's like your whole role yeah, is yeah. talking. And how yep. how like percentage one hundred percent? What percentage would be admin in your current role? In my current role, uh, probably. Fifty percent. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, but that's a part of the NDIS. Or a yes. lot of my OT friends that are in the NDIS, which is most of them, mm. they'd say the same number. It's just a part of the job, and I didn't realize that <laughs> until you went. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for advice for people wanting to go into OT is also to understand. Yeah, there's like separate roles or tasks. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, you get to do the OT things, and that's. Yeah. To me, obviously, that's the best thing about the job. But with that, there's always going to be paperwork. <laughs> and to have a realistic view on this, because this is really important, flowery, you know, romanticizing mm, the mm. idea of OT, because people go into health to help. Yes, that's the major, exactly. major mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. I for sure know that if you wanted to go into or whoever wanted to go into OT would be like, I'm going to help people all the time, yeah. all day, all day. Yeah. But um, that's really good to, you know, provide that reality exactly which <laughs> yeah. is i think really important yeah yeah absolutely um, it's just yeah it's just a part of it you just suck it up and mm-hmm. it's not all of it's that bad i'm making it sound really bad the admin side i quite like feeling organized and getting it all done mm-hmm. and i find it very satisfying to tick things off my list reports off my list and yeah. oh and another thing i'll just say about the reports especially in the ndis i one part i really like about it is you get to advocate for the client mm. and 
advocate that for the shit out of them and yeah. like <laughs> make they sure they deserve this yes, equipment yeah, yeah. Like or that. they deserve this funding in their next oh, NDIS plan mm. they need to have weekly OT sessions for the next year mm. we need that to happen otherwise they're going to experience what we call occupational deprivation social isolation they're going to be deprived of to being able to do things everyday things so yeah. um yeah I quite like that I like get to really stick up for them. <laughs> so as a quick recap, if you've just graduated or want to switch jobs, but are so unsure whether to commit to that degree or to the career, then volunteering or work experience is such a useful way to see the ups and downs of the job and to basically try before you buy. So I've got to say, Amy was so, so lucky to only go for one day and love it so much and still be in the profession. But also, if she had spent a couple more days in that work experience, then she would have definitely learnt about the admin and the paperwork, and the shock wouldn't have been so big as it was later on. So, note to self, if you're ever confused about whether or not to do something, then try it. Do work experience and see how it goes. Throughout the course, I was able to still learn that advocating language in mm-hmm. particular. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some more specifics on that would have been great at uni, but it's something that just comes with experience as well. And I wasn't great at English in school. So I'm not very- not their particular <laughs> type of English, which yeah. is essay writing and very specific. Yeah, language. yeah, yeah. It's just. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not always, haven't always been great at writing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just something that's come with experience. I had a look at one of my old, my, one of my first ever reports the other day and I'm like, oh my God, I've improved so much yeah. since then. <laughs> and I love that because of course, when you start something for the first time, of course it's going to be a little bit yeah, shit. Yeah. Unless yeah. if um, you have had different experiences mm. that are required for that particular yeah. thing. But if, yeah, coming from like a minimal English writing background to writing yeah. a full report is yeah. pretty huge. It's a huge jump, yeah. yeah. And I love that idea of, like, practicing doesn't make perfect, but it makes better. Yeah. It, like, yeah. it just happens every time you yeah. do it. Yeah. So, I yeah. guess they really chucked you into the defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. you're probably going to get that. And the thing that I had to keep reminding myself about when, some, when sometimes I'm like, oh, I just can't be bothered doing this. Mm. I'm like, this client needs me. And... Yeah. Not necessarily, but that's what I like to tell myself. (laughs) (laughs) To get you through. And I just need to get motivated. I'm like, I have to do this. I really do. And I'm going to regret it if I don't put effort into it. Mm. And the family and the participant deserve my full attention and respect and everything to make sure that they um, get what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. But that is also... Like, it just flagged in my brain the idea of caring, yeah. but the <laughs> threshold of caring. Yes. Because I know that you are such a selfless and generous person who just wants to help out. Mm. But the common thing, whether it's in um, health or education or anything that requires a lot of human-to-human contact, is quite draining and quite... Burnout. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so I think this is a really important topic to cover because... Mm. When you got into your first job, your um, job that you're currently yeah, in, yeah. how did you really manage that threshold of caring about yourself mm. while still caring about others? Yeah, it's a very hard line to mm. to balance. And mm. I think that it's – I'm not saying I'm an expert in it. I have improved, but mm. um, yeah, it's just something that's going to come with experience learning that – work-life balance and yeah I think it's been it was very tricky for a start because obviously I was quite thrown in the deep end in my job I don't know I just what did I do I can't even remember (laughs) I just made sure that um I left work at work and the my my boss at the time and my friends that were a little bit further down the track than me they were like you have to make sure you leave work at work. Mm-hmm. And as hard as that is at times, because you just want to get s- something done and you don't have enough hours in the day to do it at work, so you're just going to be like, oh, just quickly do it at home. Mm. I've had to learn to be really strict with myself and leave my laptop at work, leave my notes at work, um, and it will get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that I've had to 
really, really um, be very conscious of. Yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the idea of healthcare with education as well, it's, I've heard teachers also bring in their work home or yes. report writing or yes. marking and stuff. And I've heard the same advice, which is mm. just separate them yeah. um, physically so that you don't You're not get tempted or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But then what keeps, what stays with you after you leave the job or that work for the day is your thoughts yeah. <laughs> as well. So how Legit, do you and you can, I can't escape that. <laughs> exactly, as hard as you try. Yeah, yeah. What's some advice you've or you've received or that you're practicing right now to deal with those thoughts? Um, personally, it's just a matter of being very conscious not to be conscious of work <laughs> when you're out when you're not at work. I've had to be very deliberate, not just in physically leaving work at work, but actually mentally being like as soon as I start to think about work I just go back to being mindful of what I'm actually the task of mm. like if I'm just cooking dinner at home I just bring myself back to that but as you were saying before it's very hard to find the balance of where you care too much and yeah. caring which like the families and the participants deserve my full care and everything of course but it's a hard balance with looking after myself and getting too anxious, which, you know me, I'm a very anxious person, <laughs> um, <laughs> being getting caught up because I'm caring too much at the end of the day. Mm. I'm not, as I said, I'm just, it's something I have to keep practicing. <laughs> yeah, and I think with anything like that, um, what they always say in psychology is to, what do they say? When you catch your mind drifting towards things like work, not to be like, oh, got to get my mind in yeah. like, whatever I'm doing right now. But I think what they say is ACE, acknowledge that you, you're you having the thought mm. that you're thinking of yes. work. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, C is like channel, I think it's channel the um, emotion or something. Mm-hmm. And then E is engage in yeah. what you're doing again. Yeah. And I yeah. think the acknowledging is the most important step is mm. because um, what I'll do as well whether it's disability support work or something that requires a lot of empathy mm. and um, caring is to acknowledge like, oh, yeah, no, I'm feeling this way and that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then bringing it back. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a noticing I, skill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being going back to what I've just said about how I'm very strict with myself, I think I have been almost too on the too strict side because mm. – I'm, I'm very harsh on myself if I do start to think about it, but you're right. I have to still acknowledge that mm. I feel those emotions half, and it's not a have to. It's more like I would prefer to. Mm. I would prefer that more than yeah. if I were to be strict on myself. Yeah. Because yeah. I think once we do the haves or have tos, yeah. then there's a, to. yeah, yeah. there's a pressure. Yeah. There's a pressure in it as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. I think that healthcare workers are, they're so selfless, but they're so hard on themselves because what I see generally <laughs> is what attracts people towards these sorts of selfless jobs mm, mm. is um, such a high level of caring and high expectation of the well-being of others yeah. that the expectations are so focused on them that your own <laughs> well-being is at stake. And yeah. it's not that the – and I will say it's not that the system really encourages self-well-being. I'm not going to – because I don't believe it does. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. I think – well, I know just, I just thought of this little anecdote that when I was first in uni, I started going to um, one of the uni counselors because I was having some trouble, um, outside of uni. And I, it was about me caring too much, basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was getting too caught up in things. And the example, the analogy, say, that the, um, counselor gave to me was you, if you're, if you see someone drowning, mm-hmm. you, and you go to swim out to find them, uh, to help them, you have to be able to look after yourself first. You are the one that wears, wear a, wears a life jacket. Cause if you can't go out to help them, then yeah. what? You have to be able to look after yourself first in order to help other people. And that's something that I've really, had to learn because mm-hmm. at school, at 
in those first couple of years of uni, that's something that just was so foreign to me about caring about myself. It's so yeah. unfortunate because that is the foundation of the job, of yeah. any healthcare yeah. job, is to so how ironic. to... Ca- right. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the thing you need most is not taught to you. And um, I guess, did that counsellor give you any advice on how to actually give yourself the own, like, the life vest? Um, no. I'm sure what he said was important. Yeah. Maybe you just weren't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was. Mm. It's just taken me forever to learn how to be selfless. And I mean, selfish at times. Mm. Oh, that's that's something another psychologist has said to me in the past Mm. is the most selfless thing you can do is to be selfish. And, And that's something that sticks with me a fair bit that I'm like, I have to look after myself first. Mm. Um, if I want to be a selfless person, I have to be selfish and look after myself. And I just, I totally agree with that. And the connotation of selfish is really unfortunate mm. because yeah. selfish, like any other thing, has a threshold. Selfish just means that you care about yourself. Mm. But at what point is that considered the negative selfish? Yeah. Um, I think for healthcare workers especially, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, a level of selfishness is something that sustains you um, and mm-hmm. keeps you from being burnt out in your mm. job because, like, do you, you remember sort of the time at which you started to feel that burnt outness? I'm not I'm not at the complete burnt – well, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm at the complete burnout level <laughs> yet. But okay. when I start to, started to become quite conscious of it, I think it was about – it was about October last year. Mm. How many months into the job? So I was just under a year into the job. Great, because that shouldn't happen that soon. But anyway. Um, I think that's quite natural, yeah? though. I think yeah. it is okay, for okay. people who care so much yeah, and the true. job requires you that's to care. True. Is there a fundamental thing that can be taught about self-care? Because I believe self-care is a skill. Yeah. But where do you start with the learning of self-care? Yeah, yeah. And- um, just on a quick side note, mm. um, that – the term self-care has two meanings in OT. Oh, it does. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> so it's just going to, you might have to repeat that question because oh. I'm stuck in the, o- in, in this <laughs> other one. Um, so there is the self-care that you're talking about, yeah. um, looking after yourself, yes. but then there's also self-care in terms of when we're working with participants and they, their self-care, ta- um, ADLs, which is activities of daily living. So their self-care occupations is like brushing your teeth and oh. brushing your hair and showering. Just they're, doing something for per- yourself. Yeah. They're personal. Well, the other term is personal care tasks. So, sorry. Oh, I'm a okay. bit. And I will <laughs> Can repeat you say that it again? <laughs> so, um, the, the skill of caring about your own well-being mm-hmm. is, not taught, like what you were mentioning before, mm-hmm. not taught in school, uni. Mm-hmm. So what – because it's a skill, I believe that well-being and caring about and having tools to manage your own well-being is a skill. Mm. What sort of would you learn first in order to actually be better at that skill? Oh, that's a big question. It's a difficult one. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it comes back to – it's quite well. Firstly, it's quite hard to get that across to clients, um, especially. Oh, I meant people- for yourself. Oh, sorry. See, look at you <laughs> caring about other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, can well, we? Can you ask own. another question? <laughs> <laughs> so this is me, real time, being the source of Amy's burnout. So we changed tracks and moved on to discuss the key skills of being a successful OT. In terms of also the skills of like mindsets and skills Mm. what do you think are the most um valuable or required in ot empathy (laughs) empathy is one of the biggest ones um it's something that i believe i'm pretty good at um it is one of my characteristics of personality traits i say is that i'm an empathetic person which yeah is important in ot because it's it's hard because of what we were just saying about self-care because mm. you need to look after yourself first as well. But in terms of empathy, you need to be able to put yourself in their shoes, in the client's shoes, and or um, if you're someone close to you, like if your mum was in this position, how what would you 
be doing? What would you want them? What would you want a health professional to be doing to mm-hmm. help them? Yeah. And I think that's something that really come is the one of the fundamental things of OT is mm-hmm. being an empathetic person and um, an empathetic cl- clinician to have their best interests at heart and have their goals, have their person-centred goals um, at the forefront of your mind when you're working with them so that you can, so that they can do what they Mm. want um, that is important and meaningful to them. And that really reminds me of the idea of a coach or someone who's Mm. on your side, like their win is your win because that you're like prepping them for whatever yeah. thing that they will do. Yeah. You're like the um the proud mum. Yeah. <laughs> Would you just like cheering them on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, good job. But yeah. um that that's true. Empathy as well. And I when you were talking about all that stuff, another one I was thinking of was listening. Mm. Because I think that's a very underrated skill. Yeah. Especially in healthcare because um it's all about helping. It's all about yeah. being generous with your time and um, energy yeah. and empathy. But yeah. listening is I think at the forefront, there was a study, not about OTs, I think doctors mm-hmm. and um, how much time they give patients to talk. Mm. And apparently it's within the seconds. Oh. Like, so afterwards, I did my research and I have found the original study that I was thinking of. So this one was published back in 2018. And look at that title. So if you're on the podcast version, I've just got the screen up of the study. And the title is Eliciting the Patient's Agenda, Secondary Analysis of Recorded Clinical Encounters. To translate that, it's basically how much time did the doctors leave the patients before interrupting them and did they help them with the the thing that the patient needed? I don't even know how that title even relates, but whatever, I digress. So this study was set in North America and they basically looked at 112 encounters between doctors and patients and were, were essentially observing them and recording how long it would take for the doctors to interrupt. What they found was the amount of time that the doctors would leave the patients to speak before cutting them off was 11 seconds. That is quite shocking. And they also did say in the introduction that other studies found a little bit more. So, for example, 18 seconds in this one study or 23 seconds in this one or 16.5. So around about the same, still under 30 seconds, which is quite shocking. And I think it's because we're so willing to help. Like we have all these ideas that we want to help people with Mm. that what we forget and what I forget in disability support work is that. No, it's their it's what their problems are, and they yeah. know themselves best. So yeah, they're um, the experts on their own challenges, mm. and, and so just yeah. hearing them out, which is yeah, it's so tempting to want to immediately yeah. help. Yeah, I think that's it's so closely linked to empathy, yeah. and if you are gonna want to be an empathetic person, mm-hmm. you need to be a good active listener as well, and because otherwise, most of the time they're not gonna have the same respect for you, and um want to try and most of the time they might not want to try if they don't feel like they're getting listened to that's very true because mm. your job is about so to recap helping with their occupation in the way that is just a daily task that they mm. need help with mm. it's very true because what if the person doesn't want to try on the shoelaces yeah. or what if they don't yeah so you're, yeah your i guess your part of your role is to be a motivational mm. coach mm. to yeah. get them to try it yeah the but then at the same time um, if you do try that motivation, if they literally just do not have the motivation to brush their teeth, you're going to have to start looking at other ways to mm-hmm. make sure that they can ha- keep up their oral hygiene, for example. Yeah, yeah I think it's just going to come down to what their motivations are. You can try all you want, but sometimes they're just not going to mm-hmm. give two shits. <laughs> and that's also the thing, another skill, which is adaptive. Yeah. A- um, being adaptive to situations and problem solving mm. on the spot. Yeah. Because that's a big part. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yes. just realized yes. that yes. that is huge. I think the, yeah, the life skill of generosity and empathy, but also the tactile, like, well, not tactile, tangible mm. um, skill of problem solving. Yeah. Um, I think you got flung into that because yeah. dealing with clients, we never really get taught in uni that mm. everyone's different. You're not a textbook, you, you yeah. don't have the symptoms. Literally, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's a textbook example. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it's a bit ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Again, yeah, yeah, the irony. Yeah. But it's true because we just, we have to adapt to every single situation. It might not even be a physical thing. It might be that their family situation is Mm. something completely different or Mm. their culture is something completely different. So we have to be mindful of all these human aspects besides just the the intellectual academic side of things, Mm. Mm. which is insane, right? (laughs) (laughs) So now onto the last part of our conversation where we discuss the nitty gritty of uni and course information. So if you're interested in studying OT or know someone who would be, Here is Amy giving very useful advice that you don't want to miss out on. What I love about these sort of degrees and courses is that they're so specific towards a job, which means that you are jumping straight into, like, you know, making stuff and practical things, which did not happen in my science degree. It was so theoretical based on research. Yeah. Yeah. I tangent. So in terms of now people who want to you know jump into a uni and actually do ot so Mm. from what you've described they're like oh yeah i can see myself doing it you know and um all the activities and life of an ot Mm. as well Mm. in terms of you actually selecting the uni in the first Mm. place did you have a few that you were gravitating towards or was it just like yeah yeah well based because i'm based in melbourne i knew i wanted to be in melbourne um, that you can do that. You can do it. I think there's seven different unis in Melbourne now that are doing, uh-huh. yeah. um, that are offering OT. Um, it depends if it's a bachelor course, which is the one I did, or a master's. <laughs> if you're doing the master's, that's you obviously have had to have done an undergrad in science or mm-hmm. um, health sciences. And then, but I chose ACU at the end of the day because it was the prettiest campus. <laughs> And it was the best, and it was the best location as well. Okay. I know that's so superficial, but I, I didn't know anything else. Okay, and now, like, you, first impression, pretty. Then what was your impression going into the course? Because I remember positive things from yeah, you. Yeah, I absolutely loved ACU. If you're going to do OT, go to ACU. <laughs> Not that, that I'm though? biased. At Why all. is that though? Um, we have the best lecturers. Oh, I see. And how yeah. many lecture, um, like, sizes? As in how, oh, so our whole class size, the, my graduating year, I think there were 70 of us. Oh, that's so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved that. We're we're all, yeah. Bachelors too. Yeah. 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 No. So I absolutely loved that because we all did get to know each other Mm -hmm. and, um, you saw familiar faces every day. You weren't just sitting next to a random that you've never seen before and you probably will never see again. That's true. That's that's the stereotype I know about science degrees. It is. Those bigger degrees. You don't talk to the people that you Mm. don't know. Yeah. I tried. (laughs) I tried. But then they gave me the cold shoulder. (laughs) They were like, who's this girl trying to talk to me as I sit on my tiny table chair thing? They're tiny. You can't fit a laptop. They are, aren't they? But what also made your lecturers so great? Like, why did you like them? A lot of them have the real world OT experience. I know that. So they were OTs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some of them were still practicing OTs, which was really handy because they had that still really relevant Mm -hmm. current knowledge of life after uni. They were well renowned in and did a lot of research. and we're yeah, quite renowned in the OT world. Mm. Oh, that's another thing about the OT world. It is very small. Oh. <laughs> everyone knows everyone. Really? <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. So from new grads to like people who've been there. Yeah, like I just remember one of the first years, one of the first lectures of uni was that everyone, you have to be on your best behavior because oh. everyone you'll probably bump into that person later down the track. That's actually Don't a really scary, good tip. But, no, but yeah. that's a very good tip, but also something that you would generally just practice yeah. in life. Yeah, like exactly. being kind yeah. to people and yeah, absolutely. not knowing where they'll, yeah. you know. Yeah, they might pop up again. Exactly. Um, but I quite I really like the small world OT yeah. because I one of my favourite little things about everyday life is finding connections to people. Oh. <laughs> and that's something that I love about OT um, is that you somehow can find a connection to someone that you've never met before or I know that like when I've been to an OT I went to an OT conference um, a national OT conference in 2019 I think it was Mm. and we got to meet and we heard speakers of some of the textbooks that were written oh. for OT. I'm like, oh my God, I was fangirling yeah. so much. You write so such nerd. standardized yeah, yeah. people. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but that no, was really cool. Um, That's insane. And yeah. yeah, you run into people, your past supervisors down the track, mm. and they can help you get jobs and stuff in the future as well. So they're handy people to keep around sure. most of the time. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of advice, advice for people wanting to go into OT or mm. who are about to leave. Actually, no, that's true. Let's start with people who are going into OT. Yes. What yeah. advice would you give them? Um, just do it. Okay. <laughs> it. I'm very biased, obviously, but I think it's the best profession. And No, but I love – see, this is what I love is when – People genuinely love their jobs yeah. and it's not like a stepping stone. It's that you feel fulfilled in that role. Yeah. And that's yeah. what is so great. Yeah. 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 So yeah. just get into yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's the simplest <laughs> advice I can give. Um, and yeah, just to remember that it is a small world. Yeah. And <laughs> also for the people who are about to leave. I want to say something about getting a job. I think if you have connections um if you have a job in mind that you do end up getting offered obviously go for it but if there's something that doesn't seem quite right but you think it might be a good stepping stone into and you'll just get experience um that's still pretty good to at least yeah have that experience under your belt that might be a bit unorthodox for me to say but (laughs) yeah, yeah yeah and as a final like final closing statement to people who don't do OT and who have no idea about OT, what is something, a, a misconception that you want to clear before? Um, we don't just help people get back to work. <laughs> is that what you hear yeah. too very often? Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. I'm surprised it actually hasn't come up yet. But yeah, we often are told a lot. A thought that we just help people get back to work. That is obviously one part of our job if you're in that sector of OT, but we're broad. And the other thing is if you feel that someone you know or even yourself are having trouble with, um, ongoing trouble with a certain occupation, reach out to an OT. If you know one, if you have a connection, a mutual connection somewhere, um, I'm sure you'd be able to find an OT. There's also the OT Australia website and there is a find o- find an OT function on there as well. Just a little shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> Get on a good list. Yeah. <laughs> but amazing. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for That's having great. me. It's been so much fun. Yay. I love talking about OT, yeah. <laughs> as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> can I? Yeah. <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amy Hodge. I definitely did. And her bubbly personality is so contagious. So if you have any career suggestions for this 101 segment, then please hit me up. My email is itsjjyang at gmail.com. I'll put it in the podcast description and the YouTube description. Initially, the episodes will probably be more centered towards healthcare because that's just the people I surround myself with. But if you have any specific suggestions or sectors, then let me know and I'll put it into a career 101. Awesome. See you next week.